0: The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions.
1: Hello and welcome to the debut episode of Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State football podcast. I am Matt Brown, editor for the Athletic College Football, and I'm joined by Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer. How's everything going, Audrey?
0: Hey, Matt. Welcome to the first ever episode of Dear Old State. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. It's great that we have a starting quarterback named. It's great that it's game <laughs> week. Uh, there's a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, there is. I I mean, you look at everything that happened over the weekend with Penn State naming Sean Clifford the starting quarterback, and I think, Matt, that's a perfect example of what this podcast, I think, I hope, for us is going to be about. Uh, We want this thing to be interactive with fans. Uh, Matt and I combined have covered the Nittany Lions for quite some time. Matt is also my editor, so his job is to keep me on track, both with my writing and also on this podcast. Uh, but I think it's going to give us a forum, Matt, where we can talk to the fans and kind of figure out what's on their mind, share what's on our mind. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell these people a little bit about yourself besides being my full-time wrangler?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been following Penn State football since I was about six years old. So my first game was Penn State 63, Ohio State 14 in 1994. Uh, Penn State family and parents have season tickets. So I've kind of followed the program very closely for a long time. And, you know, I feel like I still have the pulse of the fan base in my head since I talk to my parents after every game. And, you know, we both live in state college. So we're on the ground here in Happy Valley. Um, And, you know, for me, I feel like I have a pretty good knowledge of all of Penn State football history and keep following the team and read all of your content. So uh, I think we could both provide from some pretty good perspectives here on Penn State football. You've been covering the team for what now? Ten years?
0: I think so. Yeah, I started off. I was a student at Penn State, uh, covered the Nittany Lions for the Daily Collegian, which Matt and I were both actually at the Collegian together. So shout out to the, all the student reporters out there. Um, but then, yeah, of course, I worked for Penn Live after that. Uh, Then I worked at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette covering the Nittany Lions for a couple years after that, and then worked at DK Pittsburgh Sports before coming to the Athletic uh, last June. So it's been a little more than a year. Um, But I think, Matt, combined, I mean, you fill in the gaps that I have, which for me, I did not grow up on college football, uh, much more of an NFL person. So you kind of have that background, that knowledge, and of course, Matt, Tell all these fine people about your memory of LeVar Leap, because I don't I don't have one.
1: <laughs> yeah, my LeVar Leap memory is that I was in the stadium in 1998 when Penn State played Illinois, and uh, I turned my head to talk to my friend and missed it because it happened in a split second. So I've seen the replay 400,000 times, but my claim to fame there is that I was in the stadium and missed maybe the most impressive athletic feat in Penn State football history, at least defensively, because Saquon Barkley's run against USC might have something to say about that.
0: Yeah. So there you have it. Um, All the things that I missed growing up, Matt caught most of them, except for the big (laughs) iconic play in Penn State history. Uh, So together, hopefully we don't miss anything. Uh, from here on out. But our plan is to get you guys this podcast twice a week on The Athletic. So you'll have it by Monday at lunchtime. You'll also have it again Thursday by lunchtime. So we're going to be counting on you guys as this thing gets rolling here to kind of give us some feedback. What are the things you want us to talk about? What are the questions that you guys have for Matt and I? Um, but we also are kind of going to break it down where Monday we'll talk more about the previous game. Thursday will be more of a lead-in to the weekend. And that kind of thing. But since this is the first ever episode of Dear Old State, uh, we wanted to give you guys a bit of a season preview, whether you've been asleep for most of the summer, whether you've been reading everything we've written, listening to whatever else we've been up to. uh, We think this is a good time to jump in here since, as James Franklin said, it's all about Idaho, Idaho, (laughs) Idaho, Idaho, Idaho. Uh, Matt and I are going to talk about the season, the season, the season, the season
1: yeah so audrey you've been following you know you've been following all of preseason camp you've been at all the mm-hmm. press conferences, all the media availabilities preseason camp is over and it's idaho game week so through the, the three four weeks of camp uh what are your biggest takeaways what stood out the most from from the past month
0: you know matt i think besides the quarterback getting named about 5 15 on a friday when i just checked into happy hour <laughs> besides time. that that's great and we'll yeah we'll certainly dig into sean clifford a little bit more here um but I think you look at Penn State. The biggest questions the Nittany Lions had coming into camp, one of them, of course, was you know the defensive tackles. What was going to happen there? And I think that's a group that they exited camp with a pretty good feeling about. And you know I talked with Sean Spencer last, or I guess it was earlier this month in August, about the Nittany Lions and said, okay, you know, how many tackles do you want to have? And he said, ideally, you know, you want to have six tackles that you feel good about. And I think at this point, Penn State is feeling pretty good about what they have because, of course, the way I look at it, and of course, I broke my depth chart down on the athletic, both with the offense and the defense, but I expect that you're going to see Rob Windsor to start the year. You're going to, of course, see Antonio Shelton with him, but P.J. Mustafer is a guy who I just think is really going to continue to push Shelton for time. Then, of course, behind them, you have Fred Hansard, and you have Damian Barber, who a lot of people, I think, maybe have kind of forgotten about. Um, Then you have guys like Judge Culpepper, Devon Ellis, and Hawkins kind of in that mix for that sixth spot. So to me, the defensive tackles, I think they're going to be okay, at least for the time being. So that was definitely, I think, one of the biggest camp takeaways, but also meant the obvious thing, the quarterback. Uh, They named their guy. It took them a while to do that officially, but I think that was just a formality. I mean, everybody knew Sean Clifford was going to be the guy. Uh, He certainly has the team's admiration. He's that leader. Uh, In my mind, Matt, and I'm curious for your take on this, but in my mind, Sean Clifford won the starting quarterback job when he stood up in the team meeting after Tommy Stevens left and said, I'm not going to let you guys down. So before he even needed to throw a pass in camp, in my mind, it was already set in stone.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I understand what James Franklin and the coaches did. You know, mm-hmm. you want to generate competition. If they're going to say that every starting job is open, then you have to follow through with that. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just we, 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 we know it's maybe not the truth, but it's just what you have to do. And you want to generate competition. You want Will Levis to feel involved and feel like he has a chance and get him reps. But we knew. I mean, we knew the moment Tommy Stevens transferred. Uh, because yeah. there had to be a you reason for, for yeah. transfer yeah. and Sean Clifford was the guy who last year got those second team reps in the spring when Stevens was hurt and this year he gets the first team reps when Stevens is hurt so you know there's been a lot of opportunities for Clifford behind the scenes to get reps and to develop chemistry with the team and we only saw him briefly last year you know at times he threw uh, came in and threw the longest pass in Penn State history mm-hmm. uh, what was that the Kent State game? Yeah, the Daniel George. Um, saw him a little yard. bit in 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 the bowl game, but behind the scenes, he has already been working really, really hard. You've written about you've written a couple of like profiles of him. Uh, he's a guy who seems like is obsessively competitive and fiery, yeah. and I think that's going to rub off on teammates. And you know, it would maybe would have been better if it wasn't announced at five thirty p.m. on a Friday, but you know, they waited till the end of preseason camp, and you know. I don't believe Franklin when he said we haven't had a conversation about who's going to start last Tuesday.
0: Well, what have they been talking about then, right? <laughs> but, like,
1: <laughs> but I, I get it. We we yeah. we we just know that Clifford was always going to be the guy. There's a, you know again, there's a reason Stevens transferred, and Clifford was a four star recruit, um, highly decorated high school player. There's a lot of reasons to be intrigued by him this year.
0: Absolutely. And I'm curious to hear when we hear from James Franklin this week, Tuesday, that'll be the first chance the media will be able to ask him questions about the quarterback competition and kind of, you know, just gauge a little bit in terms of what strides did Will Levis make because that backup job is still so important. And the fact that, you know, Levis is a redshirt freshman, hasn't attempted a pass in his collegiate career. James Franklin did mention earlier in the summer that Levis has that big arm compared him to Troy Aikman. Premature comparison, surely, but I think you look at the build (laughs) there with Levis, uh, and that was the thing. When we had a chance to watch Penn State's second practice this summer, I must have written it about 15 times in my notes, but it was just, man, Will Levis is a big dude. Like He does not look like the other quarterbacks. Uh, Still certainly a lot of excitement about Levis. I'm really curious to see how he develops because, as we saw with Clifford last year, as you mentioned, Matt, I mean, you got to have a number two who is ready to play, who's ready to go. And that's where certainly the Tommy Stevens departure, I mean, that just made that room so much younger in such a short amount of time.
1: Yeah. And to, to that point as well, I mean, last year, we probably should have seen the backups more than we did because Trace McSorley clearly was not 100% mm-hmm. for, for much of the season and they ran him. We don't talk lot. about injuries here, man. <laughs> Easy. We, yeah. We can't talk specifically about what it was, but we know he was banged up and he still, you know, he ran the ball 170 times last year. And Sean Clifford, I think there's been a lot of talk about he's probably more athletic than people think he is uh, based mm-hmm. on the way they've talked about it. And, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to go up. He's, gonna, But they're not going to run him like they did McSorley. I think the running game with the quarterback is still going to be part of the offense if he's athletic enough because it's just part of the foundation of what they yeah. do. But there's no way they're going to run the quarterback that much. And partly because they're going to spread carries around with the depth that they have running back as well.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I think that's we're going to get a heavy dose of Ricky Slade. Going to see what he's all about, but yeah, you're spot on, Matt. If if Sean Clifford takes off 170 times this year, uh, Penn problem. State's yeah, I was going to say Penn State's going to have a lot of problems. Um, but then again, like you said, Clifford is supposed to be a much better athlete than they gave him credit for. James Franklin kind of challenged Clifford when he got here and said, "Hey, there are certain things that we need you to be able to do." that right now, you know, at that time being, two years ago, Franklin didn't think uh, Clifford at that moment was able to do it, and he's worked hard at that. Uh, and come this weekend, we'll all get a chance to, to see what that looks like. Um, but, Matt, before we focus our Thursday show on the opener, let's go a little bit big picture here again. Um, in terms of the season as a whole, mitney Lions' biggest strength, what do you think that's going to be?
1: It's a combination of things, I think, on defense. I mean, obviously, people look at the defense right now is just the more experienced, proven mm-hmm. unit. It was, despite the tackling issues early last season, it ended up being a really good defense. And you just look at the combination of the pass rush and the team speed they have on defense. I mean, you know, Etor Gross Matos is one of the best defensive players in college football. We The Athletic yeah. named him preseason second-team All-American, um, you know, 20 tackles for a loss last year. He is a rising star who is just on the right track to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. On the right track as long as he is, you know, on the team. We know he dealt right. with the <laughs> summer suspension. We don't know if he's going to miss any time in the opener. But, um, you know, Penn State expecting enormous things from him, and understandably so. He, he's still a little bit raw even, and uh, just became a force in the Big Ten. So you look at him, but it's not just him. You know, Shaka is a great athlete who... Seems to have developed a more well-rounded game as well. That mm-hmm. So he's not just going to be a situational pass rusher. He'll be on the field more. You know, Shane Simmons, you've written about, was a highly touted recruit who we just haven't seen much of because he hasn't stayed healthy. But if he is healthy, he's going to have a role. They rotate a lot of guys in the pass rush, you know. Um, Jason Owe, who's been, you know, kind of the talk of the yeah. offseason and the athleticism he has. And, you know, it's probably just going to be situational this year, but we're going to see him. And there's just all these options and all these different kinds of athletes. You know, Michael Parsons and the speed he brings at linebacker. We'll probably see them use him to attack the quarterback in different ways. It just should be a fun defense, and we'll see if where the tackling is early in the year. But uh, the schedule sets up for them to, you know... Be able to develop the tackling as it goes along yeah. really slow. <laughs> Although Buffalo has some good running backs and Pitt likes to run the ball. See, there you but go, man. First you bring up injuries,
0: here. then you're already bypassing <laughs> the week one opponent. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think you look at the, these defensive ends, uh, you hit on it with the speed, the athleticism. I mean, Jason Oway running that 4.33 second 40-yard dash. Um, that's quite an accomplishment. Even bigger accomplishment. He got ranked pretty high on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. So Bruce does a tremendous job, you know, looking at all the information, all those freak athletes throughout the country. And Jason Oway is one of those guys. So I just, I guess the question, Matt, is how good can this defense be? Because everywhere, you know, I think people expect this to be a top 10 defense. I expect it to be a top 10 defense. Um, Can it crack into the top five? I don't know. I mean, I think the potential is certainly there. Micah Parsons. Uh, Cam Brown is a guy who I think some people might be sleeping on a little bit. Uh, and I say that because everything is always about Parsons, Parsons, Parsons. And I understand that. Fans are excited about him. Um, they want to see you know, if he can create some of those LeVar Arrington-type moments. Uh, but Cam Brown is a guy who I think has the ability to, again, create a lot of takeaways, something that this defense hasn't always been great at. Um, so I think he's certainly one to watch. And... I agree with you on Chaka Tony. I mean, they need him to be an every down defensive end. I mean, the guy just has such tremendous speed. So really looking forward to seeing what those defensive ends can put together this year, Matt. But now that we're all full of optimism, um, usually I, I tend to, to bring the mood down a little bit with this one. <laughs> kind of my, my go-to here. But what's the biggest area of concern for this team? Because the defense is going to be the strength. The defensive ends are going to be a strength. Uh, what do you pick to Matt as kind of that issue, that area that maybe has you pe- press pause for a second?
1: Two things stick out to me, and it's I'm not even going to talk necessarily about a specific position. Although you know we look at the mm-hmm. inexperience on offense, that's what most people probably point to. But I think it's just finishing games and getting into a rhythm. Two things here: mm-hmm. getting into a rhythm on offense. The offense with Ricky Ronnie last year just it felt a little bit disjointed and lacking an identity at times. Yeah. And you know I think some of that was probably McSorley being banged up um, you know they you know early in the season I think what was it the talk going into the Ohio State game is these are the number one and two scoring offenses in the country which seems like a long 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 time ago because uh, you know the it offense feels just, like a long time yeah, ago <laughs> the, the offense <laughs> yeah. had, you know just got kind of stuck in a rut and was just inconsistent and I think at times it felt like Miles Sanders wasn't involved enough at times it felt like KJ Hamler wasn't involved enough and those are two right. you know superstars so it's just, you know, with all these new faces, what is the identity of the offense going to be? Can they get into a rhythm? Um, you know, mix, it, it's obviously going to look a little bit different because they're, as we talked about, Clifford is not going to be running like McSorley. And then it's, yeah. you know, with... I think the question last year was, can the defense finish games after the offense, you know, got them a lead. I think this year it's, can the offense finish games. You know, we have all these new faces. The offensive line, I think, you know, they lost a couple guys, but I still think it's it's just in a better place than it's been. You know, they've just built more depth there. They have more options. They've developed there. I don't think it's going to be one of the best offensive lines in the country by any stretch, but I think they'll be solid there. It's just with all these new running backs, with you know, young unproven receivers, which with a totally unproven yeah, quarterback. Can they develop that identity and then can they actually finish games and and be consistent from start to finish in a game? Because, you know, all these close losses, it's just they've something's wheels have fallen off at some point and they haven't quite reached that potential because of that inability to finish games.
0: And I agree with you, Matt, on on the point that finishing games for this team. And I thought this was really telling because Brent Pry was not glossing over that when I sat down with him for our state of the program series earlier this summer. It was something that he spoke about. And the team, when they got together before the first night of camp, uh, Brent Pry had the defense go around the room one by one, and he wanted the veterans to each pick out a word. And that word would kind of go up on the board. That'd be their word of the day from training camp all the way up and through this, you know, leading into week one. And one of the things that Shaka Tony said, which I find it's really interesting, whenever you talk to people about Tony, they always say, you know, he doesn't say much. But when he does say something, everybody listens. He like he kind of has that command in the room. Right. Um, but Tony said to them that they need to get that Mamba mentality, which is exactly right. Like, they need to be finishers. And the point that they were making was, you know, okay... Whatever the offense is going to do last year, fourth and five, whatever that shouldn't have been on them. We could have closed that game out, and that's really their their mentality of this defense, the, the mindset that they take into this year is that they don't want to hang this thing on the offense. Um, they don't want to, you know, let it up for interpretation because when you look at everything that's happened and all these close losses that Penn State has had, I mean, they've had just some real heartbreakers during James Franklin's time here. The defense has a shot to put the game away, and I think with this group of playmakers, they have the ability to do that Um, because on the other side of the field, that youth, I just think there's, yes, there's a ton of potential on this offense. There are a lot of former highly ranked recruits. Um, I think Sean Clifford is going to be a pretty good quarterback. I think Ricky Slade is going to have a really good year. I think they're going to find a way, they need to, they have to find a way to get K.J. Hamler more involved, and they seem really committed to doing it. Uh, I'd also say the receivers absolutely have to be better than they were last year. Um, And on the flip side of that, Matt, I mean, I I honestly don't think they could put out a worse performance than they did last year collectively just because of all the drops. I mean, it was really inexcusable, but Jared Parker has complete buy-in of that room, and these guys really seem on board with that. So, to me, it's okay. How do you combat that youth? Because we don't know what's going to happen when the game's on the line. When McSorley's under pressure, what kind of reads he gonna make? What kind of playmakers are these guys going to be? So I just, that's to me where you gotta wonder about the youth. Um, but that's that's but my of reason. All the youth for is
1: highly touted recruits. That's the thing now. It's like Penn State is in a different position than it was for most of recent history, where we talk about all the new faces. Most of them were like a four or five star recruit. So it's like oh, okay, yeah. they've elevated that now. Will it translate? How quickly can they develop? Because I think a lot of the talk is, okay, everything looks to be setting up for 2020. Like, they could have a yeah. lot back next year if everything develops and the class of 2018 is coming of age. But the talent's there now, too. And can they be ahead of schedule? Because, you know, we'll get into this now. You know, this the schedule sets up for that. So um, I think we've talked a little bit about, well, why, why don't, let's, let's throw out another name, too. Who are you most excited to watch this year? It can be a little bit off the radar. We've talked about Owe. We've talked about some of these guys, but who's going to break out this year that people should watch? Um, and it can be, we can give somebody off the radar too if you want.
0: Oh, I'm going for a deep sleeper here. Um, but I don't think it's that much of a of an you know off the radar thing. Uh, wide receiver Dan Cena and Downingtown East alum shares the same alma mater with me in that regard, Uh, but he was a guy who James Franklin pointed to in the spring. I'm sure fans remember, you know, he catches, I believe it was a touchdown or a long pass in the spring game, and they put him on scholarship, and in a room like that receiving room that has so much youth and experience, they're looking at this guy to make some kind of contribution. Now, you look at Justin Shorter, everybody expects a lot out of him, but Shorter's health, I mean, this has been, that was what held him back last year. We've seen him sporadically throughout camp, so you have to kind of wonder where things stand with him, but Chisina, I did see him taking some first-team reps um, here at the tail end of camp, so again, they were working all kinds of guys, so not like it's necessarily any big secret there, but I think he's a guy. I mean, he's explosive, and I think that's, I remember watching him run track uh, in high school. He was here for an indoor meet, and he was running, DeAndre Swift was running at the time. Uh, I remember talking to those guys both for separate stories, and, you know, it's a lot, long, winding career for Jacinda to get here, but I think he's a guy who has a chance to impact impact this offense, um, and on the other side of the ball, I'm going to go with, hmm, I'm going to go with linebacker Ellis Brooks, because So much of what we kept hearing about him is that he's got these natural leadership abilities, and I think Brooks is going to continue to push Jan Johnson for that spot in the middle. Penn State wants their linebackers to be versatile, wants them to be able to to move around, which I think we're also going to see Parsons move around a good bit. Um, But I think Ellis Brooks is going to play a lot of football for Penn State this year.
1: Yeah, and so I, that's the thing. There's still some ongoing competitions there, and I think I would mm-hmm. add P.J. for at defensive tackle as somebody who might not be starting week one. Great pick, yeah. But he is probably going to develop into a bigger, bigger role. You mentioned him earlier. We saw just small flashes of it last year that he kind of got his feet wet um, as, as just kind of a depth defensive tackle as a freshman. But he's a highly touted guy, and I think defensive tackle is something that could end up emerging as a strength because, again, there's just, there, there are a lot of options. It's not necessarily proven. Although Rob Windsor, I think, is kind of an underrated player. He, he had a really nice year yeah. last year. Really came on uh, the Wisconsin Late. game. He had a big year or big game. But I, I think they could develop into a, a dominant defensive line. I think one of the ways to do that is by a guy like Mustafer reaching his potential and, and coming coming to his own, which I think could very well happen this year. And the guy I'm going to say on offense who I'm most maybe most excited to watch, uh, I am excited to watch Ricky Slade, who I think has – high potential but I I just I am looking forward to seeing how they mix up the running backs because there aren't many things you can actually take away from a spring scrimmage but I think my biggest takeaway from the blue white game was Noah Kane looks like somebody who can play right now um you know he's and he wants to play right now (laughs) yeah he's going to they're going to get him on the field and you know he's a guy who you know he's playing against the first team defense in in the spring scrimmage and looked good and just has a different body type than Ricky Slade. So they have some backs who can do some different things. Um, So, you know, you've written about it. You know, Miles Sanders got 220 carries last year. Trace McSorley at 170. Ricky Slade was next with 45. And we saw that kind of same uneven split among the running backs with Saquon Barkley. And understandably so. It was Saquon Barkley, arguably the best player in the history of the program. Except
0: for that Temple game, Matt. Don't forget that Temple game. game.
1: (laughs) But, you know, Slade is a five-star recruit, but Noah Cain was a big-time recruit. And Journey Brown is just a freakish athlete in terms of speed. So they have options. They have guys who can affect the games in different ways. It's going to be interesting to see how that uh, plays out and how the running back situation shakes out. Um, No,
0: absolutely, Matt. I mean, I think that's the back-by-committee approach. We're definitely going to see it this year. And I'll throw this name out, too, as we kind of move on. Uh, Rasheed Walker at left tackle. That's going to be fascinating yes. because here's a redshirt freshman you're putting a ton on his his plate you're keeping will fries on the right side for the time being at least because Rashid walker is more comfortable on the left side so you go about things that way but man that's a tall order especially you know in the big 10 with these kinds of defensive ends um they're asking a lot of walker so certainly a guy uh, for fans to keep an eye on week one as well
1: all right let's go ahead and look through the schedule look through the season let's go some quick hitters here and just kind of look at the schedule and the big spots what do you think is this might be an obvious question but biggest game of the year what do you think
0: whiteout at home against michigan time to be determined Uh, i guess there's potential that this could be an afternoon game which would really throw off um, kind of some of the mystique of the whiteout being at night but penn state needs to get over that hump in terms of beating michigan ohio state and michigan state something that They've gotten beat up against during James Franklin's time here, but Josh Gattis makes that return trip to Beaver Stadium against, you know, this is going to be, I think, a good game, but we're going to really have to see if Michigan's offense, what it evolves to under Gattis, just how much freedom Harbaugh is giving him and those kinds of things. But to me, Matt, that's my game of the year.
1: Yeah, I would say whichever one came first in the schedule between Michigan and Ohio State, since it's Michigan, you know, the, the result of the Michigan game is going to dictate the importance Ohio of the Ohio State. State game on November 23rd. No matter what, playing Ohio State's important. It's huge. Uh, it could be huge for, you know, momentum going into the next year. But if they're going to contend this year, it's going to be dictated by what they do against Michigan. And, you know, it's not it's an obvious pick. But, you know, the way they played them on the road last year, the last two, two times they played them on the road, uh, they get them back at home where they blew them out two years ago. Michigan has high expectations. That's kind of this game everything is building toward. And then after that, we'll see. Um, rest of the schedule, what do you think is an intriguing game that maybe people aren't talking about right now?
0: I think both, but they have two really good road matchups. Uh, one of them at Minnesota, the other one at Iowa and Kinnick stadium, man, I, I think I remember being on that sideline a couple years ago when Juwan Johnson catches that touchdown at the end of the game. And that place just kind of like froze, you know, um, you're, the fans are just so on top of everybody right there. It's, I think it's one of the best, maybe the best environments in the big 10, um, in terms of away game venues for Penn state. And I would say, Matt, don't overlook Minnesota. I mean, I mean, I think Penn Agreed. state, this is a, a sneaky, difficult schedule in that regard. What's, what's your take on the Gophers?
1: Yeah, this is, you know, I think we were going to talk about, too, what do we think is, like, the biggest possible upset spot that people don't think they're going to lose and are just chalking up a win. I think it's that. Yeah. Uh, the P.J. Fleck, what he's done at Minnesota, they are they were really young last year. They got a lot of young players' experience. They're more experienced now, and they have almost everybody back. Still some questions at quarterback. They have an injury there, um, but they're, they have multiple guys who have rushed for 1,000 yards at, at running back. Uh, Tanner Morgan at quarterback got some experience last year, some starting experience. I think he'll be fine. Tyler Johnson's one of the best receivers in the country. But you look at, you know, all, all of their running backs are back. All of their receivers are back. They have a good pass rush. And I think they're a sleeper contender in what's a wide open Big Ten West. So you'll get that spot on the schedule. People are looking at, you know, road games at Iowa, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Don't forget about Minnesota. That's just It is off of a bye week for Penn State, which helps. But, okay. you know, I, I do think that is the spot that, you look at and say they got to be careful. That that's the one they they can't lose if they want to achieve their goals this year. But it's a dangerous game.
0: So Matt, by the sound of that, then it sounds like you're mentioning all these away games that you might be overlooking Maryland potentially. <laughs> what what do you think? What do you think of that one? The the Friday night game. I think the Terps do have potential to yeah.
1: upset somebody. Like there are some good athletes on that team. There there is some talent. You know the recruiting. They recruit better than Rutgers. They recruit better than some of the team, other teams at the bottom of the conference. So I think they could s- surprise somebody. I don't think they're going to surprise this team as a whole this year. It's just the division's too tough. New coaching staff. They've been through a lot of change. They have a tough schedule. But it, it is tricky, a little bit dangerous. But I, I think Penn State will probably – maybe they have some trouble like they had with Illinois in that Friday game last year in the first half and then pull away. So you can't overlook it, but – if I had to pick one of the first five games as a game that's kind of underrated right now, because everybody kind of expects them to go 5-0, and it's that Purdue game on homecoming, which leads into yes, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. Purdue, I think they're probably going to be like a seven-win team this year, but I love Jeff Brom, and we saw what they did to Ohio State last year. If they put the pieces together and you're not prepared for them, they can surprise you. Penn State is more talent, but Purdue has some playmakers and a great coaching staff, so that's another one that's just... Don't don't sleep on that as some just easy win. We saw what they did to the Buckeyes last year.
0: So a lot of it sounds like a lot of traps on the schedule, a lot of intrigue, especially with some of these road games. Um, and I think that's where, you know, Matt, we didn't even mention, and I'm sure people, our friends in the western part of the state now are going to get upset um, that we didn't include Pitt in this conversation. <laughs> yes. um, the We're going to talk the, about Pitt
1: a lot going forward, I'm sure.
0: Okay. Yes, the, the last of the four-game series between Pitt and Penn State at Beaver Stadium, week three. Um, I believe that is a noon kick, I want to say? Yes. Believe, okay, so noon kick, traffic I'm sure will be a zoo. Uh, but, th- I mean, that's one of those games where, I think fans love it. James Franklin won't want to call it a rivalry again, I'm sure. Um, Pat Narduzzi probably will you know, not let their players talk to the media and continue to take that approach. So we'll be getting into that one in the coming weeks as well, but that's certainly another fun one on the schedule. Quick hitting offensive player of the year, Matt, for the Nittany Lions. Who you taking?
1: You know what? I'm going to be a little bit bold and say Sean Clifford. I, I think he has a we talked about earlier. Tommy Stevens transferred for a reason. He wasn't guaranteed mm-hmm. the job, and Clifford has, you know, a lot of potential as a passer, and, you know, I think maybe a little bit more of a runner than people give him would would think. Uh, so I I think the the receiving core will be better, and I think he just has a lot of playmakers to spread the ball around to, and I think he has a favorable schedule to kind of ease into a little bit. Not that Pitt, you know, isn't dangerous. Not that Maryland isn't dangerous. Not, these teams have some talent, but the schedule is kind of built for him to kind of come into his own and develop. So I'm going to go Sean Clifford.
0: That's a good pick. Um, I'm going to go with KJ Hamler. I mean, kind of the other side of that. That's the
1: probable pick. I would say. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Hamler's
0: going to be the guy that they're going to have to get him involved. I think we're going to see him do it in a lot of ways. Um, And also he's going to continue to be the kick returner. They also want him to be the punt returner. So I just think they got to find more ways to get creative with him. And they really seem like they're set on that. Um, and, hey, let's not overlook Pat Fryermuth. We haven't even brought sure. him up um, as we run through this thing. I mean, there's a guy, ton of potential, ton of upside after a very big freshman year. So the offense has the chance to have quite a few playmakers on it. Uh, defensive player of the year, Matt, for me. I'm going the obvious choice here with Etor Gross Matos. Uh, who you taking? I'll go
1: the other obvious choice of Michael Parsons, because Michael Parsons, yeah. I think with a year of <laughs> Experience under his belt at linebacker, I think they can do more things with him this year. I mean, he led the team in tackles despite starting one game. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, and we just know he's a freakish athlete with a high ceiling. So I'm going to go and back the to
0: fact that he was, and this bothers me, Matt. So I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, the fact that he wasn't starting toward the end of last year, I think, was just still so <laughs> boggling. I mean, I, I understand seniority, those kinds of things. They wanted to play co Farmer and all of that. Um, they also said they wanted to limit, you know, how much they put on his plate, but my gosh I mean this guy's a playmaker time and time again um the limitations are gonna be off
1: now he's gonna be full go he's the starter it's it's not his defense Cam Brown's the leader you know Utah Rose Mattis is more a veteran but I think we're gonna see that five star potential for Parsons show up this year
0: absolutely Matt since we're always full of optimism around here um what's your worst case scenario for the Nittany Lions this year probably womp womp
1: probably 7 and 5 if things just don't come together if you have some injuries the schedule isn't i, I don't think the schedule is as bad as it could be it, it's it's kind of a middle of the road big 10 schedule the non conference schedule yeah. is pretty easy relatively speaking obviously you have the pit rivalry game but just based on some of those road games if if some of those things go wrong and, and things kind of spiral a little bit i don't think they can i think 7 and 5 is probably my my floor there's just too much talent to do worse than that
0: yeah i agree with you i mean i just they have to get over those big three as i mentioned before the michigan michigan state ohio state Absolutely. i know easier said than done um but they can't continue to go and three against those guys and expect fans not to be up in arms about it um regardless of the team whether or not they're in transition whether or not you know we want to point to 2020 is a better chance um, they can't let that continue to happen. So to me, worst case scenario is again another year, regardless of you know if it's seven and five, if it's eight and four. But if you go zero and three against the yeah. Big Three, that's a problem.
1: All right, best case scenario. Let's look at the other way.
0: Man, I, the young talent shows up uh, in a big way, and this is a Penn State team that takes advantage of maybe some inconsistencies in the Big Ten, some turnover in the Big Ten. Um, And I would say 10-2 and is probably best-case scenario, but again, you never know. I mean, I go back to the 2016 team, and everybody says, okay, you know, I mean, I remember that Minnesota game thinking, man, I better put the vacation on hold. I might be covering a (laughs) coaching search in the offseason. Of course, they go back, win that game, um, run the table from there, and end up in the Rose Bowl. So I just think they're relying so much on this youth, but you have to turn that experience and that potential into production. Um, but you got some playmakers. These guys were highly touted recruits for a reason. And if that all comes together, who's to say, you know, they can't go 10 and two.
1: I'm going to say 11 and one is the best case scenario. I think the best case, everything comes together. Mm -hmm. The playoff isn't out of the question. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I just think if we're talking best case, you know, I I wrote about, I'm an AP top 25 voter Um, since the start of the BCS in 1998, an average of, 1.6 of the top four in the final BCS or playoff rankings at the end of the regular season have come from outside the preseason AP top 10. So pretty much every year there is somebody who's like in that 11 to 20 range who emerges as a playoff team or, you know, top four in the BCS for much of that time. And, you know, the candidates, when I was looking through the ballot, it's probably the PAC 12 champion. None of them are in the top 10, but one of them, if, if they go 12 and one, they'll probably make the playoff. But if I had to pick another candidate, if everything broke right for Penn State and if things broke wrong for Ohio State, maybe Justin Fields doesn't yeah. uh, live up to the, the recruiting hype. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility if they start clicking at the right time midseason with that kind of runway to improve over the first five games. So best case, 11-1. and So what do you think? What is your actual call? Final prediction.
0: The prediction I've gone with, that I've locked in with, I was on the fence between 8-4 and four and 9-3. and three. Um, So being the optimist that I am, no, of course I went 8-4. and four. Um, But I, I just, I mean, the wiggle room is there for it to be 9-3. and three. Um, So I'm saying 8-4. and four. The 4, man, it's, I just, Ohio State at the end of the year, I think that's the key, Matt, because it gives both of these teams a chance to set up all season and kind of figure it out, both breaking in new quarterbacks, and then you go into Ohio State in November, into the horseshoe and see what happens. Um, but I'm picking 8-4. and four.
1: I thought about going 10 and 2. I'll, I'll pull it back a little bit. I'm going to say 9 and 3, but they win the bowl game, get to 10 wins, and generate some positivity going into the offseason, unlike last year where they kind of had a disheartening bowl game. I think they end up, yeah. you know, sitting at 10 and 3 after the bowl game. And I think we are talking about very, very, very high expectations for 2020. But 10 and 2 wouldn't shock me. 11 and 1, I, I think, would, would. shock <laughs> me as the best case, but I don't think it's completely impossible. Uh, but 9-3, and three, and maybe they're back in Florida or something like that for the bowl game. But I think they end the season with some positive momentum going into 2020, and we were talking about big things for next year.
0: Yeah, definitely cannot end it with a thud like they did last year uh, in the Citrus Bowl. That was just a, a low point in so many ways, and for them to lose in the fashion that they did, um, absolutely can't have that happening again. But speaking of ending on a thud, Matt, we've (laughs) made it through uh, our first episode of Dear Old State here on The Athletic, and we appreciate you guys listening to us, and again, we will continue bringing you the Penn State podcast, Dear Old State on The Athletic, every Monday and Thursday throughout the season. Please let us know, give us your feedback, what you like, what you didn't like, how far are our predictions off base, and we will have our Idaho, 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 Idaho breakdown for you all coming up on Thursday afternoon. Take care.